Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. As always, I am here every Monday morning giving you that jolt of inspiration you need to get through that crazy day and crazy week so you can spend more time doing what you love, which is help your students succeed. And I'm here today with Danielle Kent, and I'm so excited to talk all about self-regulation and executive functioning and a lot of these crazy terms that you're probably saying, Hallie, I haven't had my sip of coffee yet. Like, what are you talking about, crazy girl? So, Danielle, welcome to the show. <laughs> Tell us a little about you. Before we jump into the crazy stuff here. Yeah, before we get in there, yeah, we're start easy. So thanks so much, Holly, for having me on. I'm super excited. I always love to talk about the brain and executive functions and all that stuff. So my name is Danielle Kent. I am a private practice owner in the state of Vermont. I own my own business, Peace of Mind Therapy and Consulting, LLC. I'm also stepping into a new role, program director for the formerly known as Autism Program in the state of Vermont. So I'm juggling a bunch of new roles, and I'm pretty sure every SLP right now can acknowledge the multiple stressors we face on a daily basis, whether it be mom and SLP or SLP and daughter. You know, we, we're always juggling our roles, but I really enjoy working on executive function skills and really empowering and equipping parents to better understand self-regulation and co-regulation. So those are my real areas of passion. How do you become passionate about those areas out of curiosity? Because it's so like specific. Specific, yeah. And it's funny, like I used to think even up to a week ago, I'm like, I love so many areas. Like in the state of Vermont, people know me for so many things. Like I'm an AEC specialist. People call me an autism specialist and say, please don't call me an autism specialist because <laughs> I specialize in AAC and other things, but I'm not, you know, an autism specialist because I'm not autistic. And I always say that immediately should make it so that I'm not an autism specialist. But 
my son, when he was two years old, my daughter's development, like her ability to regulate herself was developmentally, I guess, on track, you know, unremarkable. She she was upset. She would be able to regulate herself pretty quickly. She bounced back from disappointments. My son was just the opposite. He struggled like that. Like he wouldn't be able to watch his Scooby-Doo clips that he likes to watch a couple minute clips at nighttime. You know, his paper broke. Everything to him felt really, really big. And so everything I knew about regulation at that point had been more behavior-based. And so I tried some behavior approaches and it just wasn't working. And I, I stumbled upon the book, The Whole Braid Child and by Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina B. Brayson. And it talked about this concept of co-regulation, regulating with your child to really give them and support them to have the tools. And I went, oh my gosh, this is, this is it. Like, this is, the stuff that I do with most of the kids I work with without even realizing it. And so then I just dove head in from there and I've never looked back. Wow. Wow. Can you give an example of like one of the strategies that you used on your son that you're like, wow, like yeah. aha moment? Yeah. So like, for example, when he would get really, really upset about something, I used to do things like say like, it's okay. It's fine. No, stop that. Like, we'll be okay. Or why don't you take a quick, take a quick break. But what I began to understand was that he really needed me to regulate with him. And I picture it like the boat in the Rocky Sea. He needed me to be that port that he could attach to them. She's going to stay there stable for him. Well, he had that big experience. And then I would be there for him. And then when he came back down, I'm still there for him. And so then we could talk it through afterwards when he was nice and calm. But the heart of it is kids developing security and brain wiring that they are loved and they are securely attached even at their most difficult moments. So everyone listening is probably thinking, okay, so isn't this like a behaviorist or maybe counseling? How does the SLP fall into this realm? Yeah. And it's actually kind of like the opposite of a behavioral approach. It's all based in this new, if you look at a lot of the research in like polyvagal theory, it's all about establishing security for kids. And a lot of the kids we work with are either, you know, maybe neurodivergent, have a language disorder, have a trauma history. And so really establishing security in that working relationship with a child so that they feel secure to work with you and learn from you is the most important thing we can do, establishing that security. And I think sometimes it requires us to initially feel like we're giving up control because I think sometimes there's still this rumor out there that if you regulate with a child and you empathize with their experience instead of trying to control the behavior, then you're somehow losing control. And that's absolutely not true. You know, kids have more respect and they're more likely to confide in you. They're more likely to trust you as a key person in their lives if they feel safe and secure with you. I love that. I love that, that it really is, that it's the opposite. It's the anti-behaviorist. It's so, so true. So, so true. It's the opposite. It's all brain wiring. I'm so fascinated with, when we think about brain wiring for kids, if they repeatedly get the message that having feelings is normal, right? We want them to have a nice, healthy relationships with their feelings. I bet we can then teach them the skills and strategies to know what to do with those feelings. That's a huge part of what we do. And we know, you know, all of this essentially boils down to executive function skill development and ability to manage yourself or self-regulation. And I use self-regulation interchangeably with executive function skills. And that's for some people like, they're like, self-regulation is just emotion management, right? I'm like, no, there's so many more skills that are involved with directing yourself and under the umbrella of self-regulation skills. So say someone wants to start incorporating this in their practice because they recognize that so many students on their caseload really can benefit from this. Where would they begin? 
first, well, there's like two parts of this, right? There's the self-regulation part, which is recognizing that pretty much all kids could benefit from some explicit teaching of self-regulation strategies. And then there's this co-regulation component or regulating with your students and, and supporting them to really feel safe and secure in that relationship. I'll just back up and give a quick definition. If we're looking at defining co-regulation formally, it's really comprised of three main elements, which are providing warm, responsive relationships, structuring the environment so that kids feel safe to succeed, to participate and succeed. And then this is my favorite teaching and coaching and modeling self-regulation skills. Those skills sometimes develop just naturally developmentally on track, but a lot of the times kids can benefit from some support to develop those skills. Especially with many of like our language skills that we teach, we're like so many kids, some kids get prepositions naturally and others with kids need to teach it explicitly. Like it's the same concept. What, what always fascinates me, Holly, is people have no difficulty understanding that sometimes reading needs support. Like, oh, they're, they're a little bit behind in reading. Let's give them some reading intervention. Oh, their math skills are differently developing. Let's give them some math intervention. Oh, they've got some behaviors. We need to break those behaviors down instead of saying, oh, maybe we need to just support and work on their inhibition or work on their flexibility or work on their, you know, their ability to advocate for regulation skills. That's where I'd love to see the script flipped a little bit for a lot of our kids is, you know, instead of behaviors as something to control, let's look at, okay, what could we teach them so that they can then become the master of their own ship? And then they don't have the behaviors. <laughs> let's prevent it. Behaviors, 99% of the time are due to differently developing executive function skills. And, and that could be a result of many things. There's so many factors that can lead to that. And it's really important that we don't send kids the message that they're bad kids but that they have a differently set of developing skills. And that those skills can be supported. And that, that where they're to support them and not put them down for it. Exactly. A lot of these kids all day long are like being told no or being punished or being sent to the back of the room or a timeout chair or whatever it might be. We could be that person that says no, like I hear you. Yeah. And most of these kids that are really struggling with their behavior, when you boil it down, when you, when you talk to them, they're, they're really struggling. It might be buried down deep. And some of these kids that I work with, they buried down their real true feelings about things so deep because they've developed this story about themselves that they can't control it and they just got behaviors. And what it always boils down to is they really want to be able to do these things. It's never, a, it's never, a, I don't want to do this. It's oftentimes I don't even have the skills to. Oh, so true. And you said there was another pillar. So let's go to that realm. Yeah. So, so that's the co-regulation. Those are the three parts of co-regulation, the three elements I talked about. But self-regulation is really executive function, which is the connection of skills or facets that allows you to act in a focused, regulated, goal-directed way. And so that essentially the heart of us being humans is we have to, to survive and exist in our day-to-day -day environment. We have to be able to continually have goal-directed behavior. And goal-directed behavior it's every little thing we do. I'm going to go make my coffee and walk downstairs. That's my goal. You know, we're always forward thinking. You know, two other SLPs phenomenal in our field, Sarah Ward and Kristen Jacobson, talk about the ability, executive functioning is the ability to think forward. Ideational mind mining is make a picture in the future and then you're going to go act it out. That's the heart of executive functioning. And for some of our kids, that scale again is differently developing. So the ability to know when I lose one loop, when I achieve one goal and make the coffee, the ability to then picture what you're going to do next and direct yourself, that skill is still developing. So these kids in open environments can really struggle without structure. So there's lots of parts of executive functioning and self-regulation that play in that oftentimes get lost and then are manifested as, as what is perceived as behaviors. 
And I know a lot of with the executive functioning, it appears to be like disorganized, forgetful. And it's like, no, they just, they didn't mean to. Like they need more support than just writing it down. Like, yes. And, you know, there's really, there's really great research study. I think it was last, maybe last month or two months ago. I'll try and send it to you, Hallie, so you include it in the show notes. But I looked at brain imaging of things like autistic teens and neurotypical teens or autistic adults and neurotypical adults. And they were solving a problem. And the brain networking was completely different between the autistic individuals and the neurotypical controls. That the, the way the brain was firing was different. And they arrived and they both, the population solved the problem, but the brain networking was different. And so what I always tell people is the story you tell about your brain, make it a beautiful one. So if something is hard for you, I want you to think like, I want you to reshape how you're talking about your brain. I hear kids say things like, well, I just can't, you know, this is too, like, I can't do this. This is too hard. My brain can't remember that. I'll be like, ah, your brain sometimes might not always remember everything, but it has a really cool capacity to do X, Y, and Z. You know, we all have strengths. We all have areas of need, but let's not put ourselves down for the things that are harder for us. I love this. I love this. So now as people listening, okay, like, okay, got the background. Now what? I have this kid that I suspect could benefit from some of these strategies. Where do I begin? How do I evaluate? How do I determine if this is a candidate for me? Yeah. So I think at every, pretty much SLPs, any, any kid on your caseload could probably benefit from some level of executive <laughs> function intervention. If you're just barely starting to dip your toe in the waters of, of really understanding executive functions, Dawson and Gyar put out two great books, Smart But Scattered, and they have checklists in those that allow you to go through and essentially check off skills that are like rating scales. So parents can fill them out. Teachers can fill them out. You could fill them out as an SLP. If you work with older students, there's self-rating scales. And what that essentially does is allow you to start to develop a rough executive function profile for a student. And you can start talking with kids, with parents, with teachers about that so that the story can be changed a little bit. So instead of they can't control themselves, it's, well, their their inhibition is a little bit differently developing. So let's start to practice and work on that with them. Let's start to really teach that skill of inhibition, which for right now is a skill that's a little bit harder for them. Do you have any input and strategies or favorite techniques to teach that? Like, how do you, where do you go? Play, play, you play. Playing. You play, you play games because you know what? Games, whether with objects or with, with just yourselves, if you think about the heart of all the games that we play, you have to have executive function skills. What do you do in red light, green light? You have to stop. Stop. <laughs> what do you do when you play a board game? You have to stop and then switch to the next person. And sometimes kids need to practice those skills in a controlled environment with a trusted person, right? That's where the co-regulation comes in. You've built that safe, secure attachment to that child. But practicing those skills, especially play, when you think about the younger years, executive function skills matter for the classroom. They also matter for social and play. So I want to make sure people's moms hear executive function and go, oh, right, for academics. And I'm like, yes, and for play and for social relationships. So make sure that your network of understanding executive function includes play, social interactions and all of that. Just like we want to work on our social skills with our social skills clients, we can incorporate play with our exec. It's, it's all intertwined. Can you go more into that with like the intertwining? Because I know you talk a lot about the social and self-regulation and yeah. all that fun yeah. stuff. One of the things that, you know, I, I really love and I, and I always talk about, you know, working with all kids and really embracing and talking about all kids in your brain is starting early on to teach kids all about different types of communicators. 
And this kind of builds in an early discussion about neurodiversity and understanding that everyone plays differently. Everyone may communicate differently. You know, I like to really introduce kids early on. Some brains use sign language. Some brains use a speech generating device. Some brains use their speaking voice. Some brains don't. And just starting to build that language early and helping kids fundamentally understand how these differences in skills, there is no less. There is different. And how cool is it? How great is it? And we have this variety in our communicators in the types of play that we use. But really starting from early on to help kids understand that. I love that. And I always like to talk about like our strengths. It's like your brain might be weak in this, but look how it's strong in this. I can't do that. We all have different strengths and weaknesses and we can all learn from each other. I love to, I love that being able to help them understand that it's not that they can't. It's that one, you can't do it right now. And two, you can do other things that I can't do. So it's okay. Yes. And for me, I step back sometimes and we say like, if we can get in with kids early enough and talk about just as often as we can, talk about the brain, talk about neurodiversity. Like my, my vision for the future is that all kids learn to work with each other. I mean, the double entity problem by Dr. Damian Milton, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it looked at, you know, autistic individuals communicating with neurotypical individuals communicating and both populations experienced a bi-directional challenge with each other. So this really isn't just about, you know, autistic or neurodivergent people needing to do work. It's about all of us needing to do work to better communicate with each other. And what a better way to do that and starting their young kids, talking about our brains, talking about how we all think differently, might communicate differently, and how we might problem solve differently. And that's a good thing. That's a- I love that. I love that. And before I go to my next topic, I'm going to go back a little bit. So you're teaching them how to play these games. How do you teach it other than play it? Play it? Some, so what are some of your strategies that you use to teach it differently than they've been taught already? Yeah. What I like to do is like a cold run. We'll go through the game just to go through a game and just to analyze how are they doing in that game. And then going through kind of like the framework of goal, plan, do, review. Like, what are we going to work on when we play this game? Oh, we're going to work on our skill to like shift. Or we're going to work on our skill to like stop and wait for the other person's turn. Or we're going to work on the ability to hold on to the rule in our memory. You know, maybe we filled out the checklist in the Sprapit Scattered Books and we're working on our ability to um, inhibit, that ability to like stop ourselves for just a second while somebody else might take a turn. All right, that's going to be our goal. What are we going to do? What are our strategies going to be? Let's practice some strategies. Oh, maybe I'm going to put my hand on the depths. Maybe I need that external cue right now. Maybe I've got to have a little visual cue in front of me that says like, press pause. You know, let's go through a bunch of strategies. On SLPs have strategies, you know, galore for stuff. And then let's go ahead and do it. And then after we end, let's review. What did you think about it? How did you do? Did that strategy work for you? Yes? No? Okay, it didn't. What do you think we should try next time? Or, okay, it did. Awesome. Is this going to work for you in a game outside of this interaction? I always put it back to the student because it's up to them ultimately to be able to carry over. And I always say, I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. But I am a coach. And I want you to be as successful as possible. It's like like the hero's journey. We're the guide. They're, yep. they're, the, they're the hero. We're just guiding them there. You're doing it. You're doing the work. And I, I want you to be super successful, but I, you are the one who's going to carry this and, and I'm here for you all the way. Love this. What advice or strategies or can you walk us through a sample that you might do with maybe an older student, more academically based kind of struggling? Yeah. So first key is really doing some interviewing with the older student about what's going on for them. Oftentimes older students, have developed this story about themselves. And so again, I say get in early, get in often to help kids build that self-talk about themselves. 
because that self-talk can quickly go negative if a kid is really struggling with their executive function management. So the first thing is let's make sure that script is intact. Let's get you aware of your skills. Do you know where your strengths are? Do you know what areas you're working on? And what really matters for you here? What really matters? And, you know, going several layers deep, what really matters and why? Because everything should always come back to what that student, what's going to matter for them. Well, that geography class, you're really struggling with managing your homework assignments. I always say the content might not be always, you know, the, the thing that's at the top of your list. But what is your overall goal here? And sometimes students with executive function difficulties have trouble backing out to look at that larger term goal, which is passing high school, right? Getting out of high school, being able to look beyond what's right in front of them to zoom out and, and make a plan to move forward. So, so that those are some of the things that I that I typically will do for for an older student. I love that zoom out. And you can make that visual with like almost like a like a target like symbol. Like okay, the, in front of you is right there is that test, but or like <laughs> I mean like zooming out, zooming in. You see, my hands are going, but yeah, yeah, it's so so true. I love that. I love that. Just like not being afraid to just have that dialogue. It doesn't always have to be so scripted or like you know we're gonna start here, plan A, and go to plan D by the end of the session. It's okay to just have those dialogues and have that student feel comfortable in talking about where they're struggling, where those breakdowns are. Yes. And like our executive function skills is so closely tied to our cognition. So kids sometimes feel, you know, like if you're really struggling with something, you don't feel good at it. It's a sensitive topic. It's a really sensitive topic and it can require some vulnerability. And that's again, why this whole, the attachment piece is so important. Like, you know, kids aren't going to really be open with me if they're not feeling safe, if they're not feeling like I'm a real person who's there and really safe to attach to. And so that's that's why I, I always come back to this component of, you know, providing a warm, responsive relationship, instruction, the environment so they can safe, because that is paramount to the work we do. My last question I have, and I'm sure everyone's probably thinking this, is what advice to someone who has maybe a parent or a teacher that does not agree with this approach or is not taking some of the steps to carry over some of these strategies, what advice would you give? Yeah. What, you know, <laughs> it, it does happen. I'm laughing because I just met with Rachel Dorsey yesterday. She's an autistic SLP and I was just asking her, you know, for some, some ideas on things and we were looping through some conversations because I, I often have a different perspective sometimes than maybe a more traditional behavior approach. But what I always come back to is I think we can almost always with a parent or with a teacher, we want to have the same ground to support that child to do as well as possible. Right. I think nine times out of 10, that's where we both come to that same place. And usually people who are not quite on board for the co-regulation approaches usually didn't grow up in that kind of environment. And they say things like, well, it worked for me. And I'll <laughs> say, well, you know, I think that what works is really subjective. And, you know, I'm happy to hear you're doing well. And the behavior approaches we're using in this situation appear to not be serving this child very well. Let's try the co-regulation approach. Let's try the teaching executive function skill approach. And then let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. It's so really trying to meet people where they're at. Because sometimes if you aren't looking at the research, if you aren't hearing about what's really happening in the field and in terms of the brain development, you might not believe it. But when you see it, when you see it working, when you see it happening, 
And I've seen it personally and professionally. When you see it, you never go back. You never go back. Like when you had those light bulb aha moments, it's, I, I love it that to bring a full circle that it started at home and you needed something for your own child and you just dove head in and now so passionate in helping so many other children locally and now around the world basically from what your platform. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it'd be my dream to just help parents and professionals reshape how they think about behavior. Think about it as a need for executive function teaching. That would be my dream. <laughs> hey, hey, starting here, starting here on SLP Coffee Talk. You've heard it first, guys. You heard it first. Okay. Okay. I want you to send Danielle a DM and be like, I heard it first. I'm sharing the word and spreading the word. So thank you so much for coming on to SLP Coffee Talk and sharing so much about self-regulation and executive functioning and all those things like my mind is like spinning on my children at home and my students <laughs> like it's it's it really is true that it's sometimes our children and students need someone to teach them how and teach them it's not always innate and we can't get frustrated and we can't jump into working on main idea and inferencing and all those fun little cute little activities we love sometimes we need to spend time focusing on these things first otherwise you're never going to get there that's right so tell everyone, where can they learn more about you and what they can learn from you and what you have to offer? You got it. So you can find me at Instagram at Miss Danielle Kent. And I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. So you can go to my website, DanielleKent.com. I have a teaching primary language curriculum right now. It's free for the summer. It's for professionals. It's loaded with executive function activities. It's a work in progress while it's in the beta version this summer. So feel free to join. Check it out. It's free for the summer. But I really try to drop a bunch of awesome content on social media because I really want parents and professionals to feel and gain a better understanding. I want this next generation of kids to uh, have really positive perceptions of their brain and to have a really healthy relationship with their brain development, their executive function skills. I love it. I love it. And kids these days are sponges. So if we can just start talking about it now, at a time they're old and running the show, the things that they're going to do are amazing. Seriously, mind blown. So I always like to end my episodes with a joke. Do you have a, do you have a favorite joke by any chance? Like off the top of your head? My husband loves puns. So why don't oysters like to share? Why? Because they're shellfish. <laughs> and that's so perfect for like executive functioning too. <laughs> I, I know my husband loves puns. He will always has a pun for me and it's kind of a running joke. He's like, I've got a joke. And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> oh my God, I need him in my therapy room. And I am my joke of the week. <laughs> okay, it, uh, you guys have to, you have to vote on this one. Which one's better? Okay, Danielle or mine? I had, what did this spider do on the computer? Oh, I don't know. He made a website. Okay. Okay. I'll have to share the business when we get back. He'll, he'll like that. I really like that. <laughs> so thank you, Danielle, for coming on the show. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. I hope this gave you the jolt of inspiration that you needed to get through your day, week, year, month, or even just minute, or even your drive, or if you're just doing some laundry or taking your dog for a walk to just escape from reality, whatever it might be. Have a great day. Have a great week and stay out of trouble. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. 
see you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys. Thank you.